Well, thank you, Andrea and Bonnie. Beautiful music. People need the Lord. Uh, I think that's a pretty good message. How about you? Absolutely. And then a song right before that, All I Need Is Christ. And uh, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's like, uh, it's like uh, what else do you need besides the Lord? Uh, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of different things that we enjoy, that we care about, but uh, folks, to, to know the Lord is paramount and nothing more important than that. Well, I'm good to see you this morning and a uh, nice uh, warm day out. Uh, uh, might get a little suntan this afternoon. Oh, sorry, wrong state. A uh, little cool today, but uh, so good to see you. Thanks for coming out. Uh, I, I always am so thrilled in our senior citizens uh, I always, every time I see Mary and Lyman come through the door, and it's like, you know, if anybody's got an excuse not to come out in the cold weather, it's you guys, but you're always here, faithful as can be, and love the Lord, and uh, it's such an encouragement to me. And uh, for the rest of us, uh, we followed suit, so uh, they were here. I think you're about the first ones in the door today again, so God bless you. Good to see uh, Richard back there, uh, also one of our dear young fellows. And uh, they just, they keep on coming, Clayton, others, there's so many of you, and just good to see you. Well, take your Bibles, let's go to Revelation chapter 14, we'll get there in just a moment. I'm uh, very happy to see Ed Gilmore here this morning. Uh, Ed, love you, I, I hope you know that, and uh, just such a dear, precious friend. And a uh, couple of, about, uh, I, was, I, I made this statement about a couple of weeks ago, Ed had come up to me some six months ago, after over six months ago, and the church had started to see some growth. We started to see a few folks getting saved, and things were just starting to pop here at the church a bit. And he came up to me, and, and it was probably one of the most encouraging things I've heard uh, uh, stated to me. And he came up and he said, Pastor, he says, I, I think we're having a revival here. And I uh, said, uh, these words dead. I said, I'm not sure we're, we're having a revival yet, but the uh, Lord's certainly doing some things. So it was those words, Ed, that, uh, and I don't know if you were here when I stated it last time, but uh, 2022 is basically dedicated, if you will, to the thought of revival. It's, it's what we're, what's God's called us to do. Uh, we've gone through a couple of messages the last few weeks on it. We're going to keep that theme going. We're going to switch a little bit based on uh, being back in Revelation. But uh, Emily, also good to see you. God bless you. Um, I mean, my heart breaks for you and Alex and your mom and losing your dad. And so good to see you this morning. Thanks for getting up and singing. That took a lot of courage, so I appreciate that. Uh, so many more uh, that have gone through tough times. Uh, talked about Clark and Pam Kaczynski and uh, uh his dad, Clark's dad, was 94, but you know what? It still hurts when a 94-year-old goes and, uh, and leaves you, too. My dad was 92 when he went to heaven a couple of years ago. Good Christian guy. and uh, But uh, every single day, I think about him. I drive by where he stayed every single day. Uh, you think about him, you love him, and that's a good thing. Never forget those folks and always uh, remember what they taught you. Learn from them and uh, keep it with you. Well... Welcome to Union Grove Baptist Church. I met several visitors this morning. Thanks so much for being here. And uh, we trust that uh, the service will be a blessing to you. The music was wonderful. I, I felt like I was in heaven 
Uh, it's, I'm not sure what it's like up there. I've never been there, uh, but I think a little bit of it was here this morning. So thanks for being here at uh, Unigrove Baptist Church, and for those watching, of course, on the internet, welcome, and uh, thanks for being a part of our service. We like to say this is the church that God's love is building. That's been our theme the last two years. It will never go away. This will remain the church that God's love is building. Every time I say that, I give a little caveat. You say, well, do you have any standards at your church? Do you believe uh, people should uh, follow the word of God and do the right thing? Well, of course we do. But, folks, it, it starts with uh, being loved and cared for. Every single day comes through the door, and that's why I try. I miss some folks, and some of you sneak by before I can get to you. Uh, but we want you to know that you're loved here, that uh, this pastor cares about you. If it's your first time here, uh, looking at a couple of visitors this morning, uh, we want you to feel loved and cared for, the same as folks that have been here for a long time. Every single person is important to the Lord, and uh, that's, of course, a theme we want to always keep going. We also, uh, a theme that we're going to keep going is peeling God's word or God's prophetic word if uh, we're with Prophecy Focus Global Ministries, uh, but uh, always knowing what the word of God teaches. Folks, if uh, every single thing we do is based on the word of God, we teach from the word of God, we preach from the word of God, uh, there's no other book that we use, or at least that I use, and uh, uh, we stay in the word of God and its principles. Reaching for revival in 2022. So, folks, how do we do that? Well, listen to the past two messages. Go back on the Internet. Go to our website. Listen to the last uh, uh, four messages, I, w I would say, on AM and PM messages. And uh, just be refreshed if you have been out of town. And, boy, it's good to see some of you that have been sick back. Uh, some of you scared the fire out of me, but uh, uh, I've been praying. Boy, I'll tell you, the amount of tears we've shed over the last few weeks uh, for folks that have been suffering, I've uh, been unprecedented here at the church, and so thankful for those that are back on their feet. I'm not going to name names, uh, but uh, I saw some of them this morning, and it's like so good to, to see you back, and it really is. I mean that with all my heart. The other last piece before we get into Revelation this morning that has got to be a mainstay of the church is forgiving others as Christ forgave you, Colossians 3. When you're looking at revival and when you're looking at the blessings of God, there's nothing really that uh, speaks more about who a Christian is than being able to forgive those that have wronged you, uh, treating everyone with dignity and respect and love. And it's, it really is. It's one of the hardest things for people to do. And God over and over and over addresses this subject. Well, you know why he keeps talking about it? Because God knows it's one of the toughest things we have to do as human beings is, is love on folks and forgive them when, when they've wronged us and uh, move forward. So those things will be popping up over 2022. Well, if you haven't turned to your Bible so far, take them and let's go to Revelation chapter 14. We've been out of Revelation for a couple of months. We've been through the first 13 chapters. There's a, a wonderful amount of uh, prophetic material in the book of Revelation from chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through Revelation 22. It's all about things that have not happened yet. It's an amazing book. Uh, it's not taught or preached on very often in many churches, and uh, there's a reason for that. There's a couple of reasons. First reason is that, uh, and I've been through a lot of Bible schools, uh, been through a lot of degrees and all that stuff, uh, and uh, I've, having gone through, and, and again, this isn't about me, but I've been through two doctoral programs uh, in theology, 
every single school that you go to, they do not teach much on prophecy. The second doctorate I got was specific to prophecy out of Louisiana Baptist University. That's what the whole thing was on. Uh, Jimmy DeYoung, who many of you know, heard on the radio and television, was one of my mentors. And uh, the prophetic word has always been extremely important to me. But unfortunately, and when we traveled around the country, went to different churches doing uh, conferences on prophecy, most pastors would come up to me and they say, Rich, man, it's like, man, I just don't know this stuff. And I'm so glad, you know, they were, they were happy that we were there to teach because, unfortunately, in Bible school, it's, it, you get to, it, the, the fancy topic is called eschatology, which is basically means nothing more than study of future things. And, unfortunately, most Bible schools, and even uh, when you get past the, the bachelor's degree, maybe you get a semester, maybe two semesters on uh, uh, one-third of the book, which is prophecy. That's not a whole lot. So unfortunately, there's a, a dearth, if you will, of understanding, but uh, uh, this is, uh, I've spent a lot of time in this, folks, and I love the prophetic word, and, and we'll speak to it, of course, this morning. So that's one of the key reasons. The other key reason that uh, you don't hear much on prophecy is there's been a major theological turn that's uh, been happening uh, around the world, really, there's two major camps, if you will, of, and, and we'll get to the practical in a moment, but it's good for you to, at least I think it's good that you understand why uh, the tenor of things is the way it is. There's two main groups of uh, uh, theology, if you will, when it comes to the study of future things. There is what's known as, and we're going to do a whole message on it uh, next Sunday, well, actually in two, two uh, because of the business meeting, we'll put it off. But in two weeks, we'll talk about what is a dispensationalist. And to some of you, it's like, what? And to others, it's like, yeah, I embrace that term. Some of you have no clue what that means probably, so we're going to do a whole message on it. Uh, what is a dispensationalist? Well, it's very simple. If you look at this Bible in 2 Timothy 2.15, God said to do what? Study to show yourselves approved unto God, work men, work women that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly handling the word of truth. All right, so what is God saying there? There are different, now here's the key, and I'm going to basically in very simplistic terms tell you what dispensational theology means. It means that God works in certain ways with certain people at certain times. You say, well, what does all that mean? All right, let's make it as simplistic as possible. Inside your Bible, it's divided into two major sections. What are they? You can say it. There you go. So you know it. So if you know there's a difference between the Old Testament law and New Testament, speaking of, if you will, grace, you are a dispensationalist. You say, oh, I am. Uh, in a sense, yes, but it goes much deeper than that. You see, the, the Bible, uh, there's many different things in the Word of God that instead of taking it literally as God wrote it, there's a group called covenant theology that basically teaches the Bible from an allegorical or spiritualized content. You say, well, what do you mean by that? It means when God talks about a seven-year tribulation period in Daniel 9.27, uh, those that allegorize say that, well, you know what it really means is we're in the tribulation now and it's been going on for years and we all have tough times. And uh, oh yeah, that millennial kingdom talked about in Revelation 20 verses 1 to 7, which uh, that 
those uh, dispensationalists say Jesus Christ is literally coming down and will reign on this earth for a thousand years. That's not what it really means. It's we're, we're in the millennium now, or we're working towards it. And instead of, here's the big, uh, and I probably confused a lot of you right away, but here's the bottom line. We interpret the scripture in four key ways, and we've talked about this many a time. Number one, we always look at the Bible when we interpret it in its context. What is it saying? Who is it saying to whom and why? We look at the contextual. We look at the historical. When God wrote it, who was the specific audience? What was literally the historical purpose when he was writing to that group of people? So the contextual, the historical, and the one which I always say I don't prefer, uh, but you got to know it, is the grammatical. Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, and of course we have a, a wonderful English uh, a Bible that's been developed and uh, translated out of the original languages. Uh, and uh, we always, and you, a lot of people ask, well, what version of the Bible do you use here? And uh, either the King James Version or the New King James. I like the New King James especially for new Christians and for uh, our young people as there's a lot of old English, and it's like I don't want to have to have new Christians and young people learn a second language, if you will, old English when they're reading. Uh, but you can, uh, uh, both of those come out of one set of Greek manuscripts. The King James Version, the New King James, are the only two Bibles on the market that use what's called the, and I'm sorry for the big words again, but use the Texas Receptus Greek manuscripts. It's also called the majority text. Now that's, you all came to hear that, right? Uh, but folks, these things are, are, are important. And you say, well, why do we get a little bit deep in the weeds every now and then? Well, folks, if you look around, we got young people that are here. We have teenagers that are here. We have young people that are in uh, college and career age. And if you'll watch what's happening around the country, you'll watch as church attendance based on young people that when they get old enough to make their own decision about if they're going to go to church or not, if there's no basis for their faith, if they've not been taught the fundamentals of the faith, there's no re- they, they, they walk out by the scores, by the hundreds, by the thousands young people have been leaving church across the country because we've gone to entertainment versus teaching the Word of God. Now, I enjoy music, I enjoy uh, singing, I enjoy all the uh, things that go along, and if it's good and godly, but if you just get up, sing a couple worship songs, give a little sermonette and walk out the door, there's no, I mean, you have no meat, no substance. So that's all introductory, that was all free of charge. Um, But we get deep into the Word of God on purpose because the Word of God is what we live for, and uh, that's, that's our book, there is no other book. We don't need any other books. 66 books, God gave them to us. They were written, uh, the Bible, oh, you get me into my I'm off track again, folks. 1,600 years it took to write that Bible with 40 different authors from multiple different continents, Africa, Europe, and Asia, over a 1,600-year period. Folks, God knew what he was doing. He assembled his word of God. He put it together. And it's amazing that in your hands, you literally hold God's holy, infallible word. Uh, So, that's why we use it. Let's go to Revelation 14. Now that I I think it's time to get into the message, actually. Uh, Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb. All right, now, let's just stop right there. 
So you said, well, wait a minute. We, we look at the Bible from the historical, grammatical, contextual, and literal standpoint. What is God talking about when he says he sees a lamb? And you see, if you in most of your uh, uh, Bibles that you're holding in your hand, is that capitalized or not capitalized? It's a capital letter, lamb. What is he talking about? What is the Apostle John recording here? He's talking about a lamb, capital L. And by the way, in in uh, the original languages, there were no capital letters. So this is a, a put there by a translator. And I agree with the translation, by the way. It's the lamb. Who is the lamb? Does it say that there? Uh, it doesn't here, but if you go to John, and uh, the, uh, John the Baptist says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You all know the verse. So Bible interprets Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture, and God is making it very clear here. Now, Revelation, it's the, uh, we're getting into the uh, last book. It was written in about A.D. 90 by the Apostle John, so there's plenty to back up. And by the way, if John uh, wrote the Gospel of John, can we agree on that? He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and did he write Revelation? Well, he sort of did. Who actually wrote it for him? Well, of course, it's the inspired, infallible Word of God that uh, the Lord gave to him. Uh, by the way, no errors in the Word of God. It's 100% true. If you can find an error, you didn't find an error. You just found uh, something that you misinterpreted because God's Word never fails. All right. Then I looked and behold a lamb, Jesus, standing on Mount Zion. Where's Mount Zion, folks? Israel. Where is the center of God's universe? Israel. Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5. If you were here Wednesday night, we talked about it. Ezekiel 5, 5. All the nations surround Jerusalem surround Israel, Jerusalem. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were, get what's the next word? Redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with woman, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb, Jesus Christ, wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Then the Apostle John says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and People saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. Father, I pray now as we open up the only book that you've ever given us to read, the precious Word of God, I pray that as we go through what, uh, in some respects, could be a little bit confusing on its face, but Lord, you've made it very clear as to what you're speaking about in this precious, wonderful passage. So, Father, I pray that uh, we'd use this, that we'd use the applications that we'll pull from this text, and, Father, that you will do what only you can do, please, that you'll revive the saved and save the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Very quickly, uh, just a very quick 
review of the book of Revelation, what we're up to so far, so the first three chapters, and again, all this is on our website, myugbc.com, also on sermonaudio.com, YouTube, and a cast of others, uh, so you can get these messages if uh, you've missed them in the past. Revelation chapter 1 through 3, uh, the Bible, uh, book of Revelation was speaking to the seven churches that existed during uh, John's time. So we've been through that. Those were what, uh, 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 um, stop it, there we go. Uh, that's what uh, John was delivering, if you will, to those seven churches. Then we go to uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and I'm going to turn to it very quickly. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 starts out with this word. We have the chapters 1 through 3, letters to the current churches, then uh, Revelation 4, 1, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, come up here. Whoa, what is he talking about here? First three chapters are written to what? The churches. Folks, are we a church? I hope so. I, you know, I've walked in and said Union Grove Baptist Church. Uh, I like to call it a church. And uh, all this, we've been talking to the seven churches. Now all of a sudden, things change. The seven letters are done. They've been they've been distributed, if you will. And now all of a sudden, God is saying to John, "Time out, buddy. Come on up here." Do you know that the church is never mentioned after Revelation chapter four, verse one? Why is that? Well. Because, uh, uh, again, from a, if you will, and I'll use that fancy word we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, dispensational viewpoint, a biblical, what I believe is a very biblical, I don't like to use the word dispensational, I prefer a biblical uh, uh, position. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, God calls the saints up to be with him. It's uh, basically looking forward to what's going to be taking place. The next major event on God's prophetic calendar is indeed the removal of God's people from this earth, dead and alive. Uh, we've gone through it many, many times, but we have so many new folks, we'll do it again. First Thessalonians 4 says this. God says, behold, Jesus Christ is coming. That's not how it goes. Here he goes. He says, for the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall it happen in our generation, shall be caught up together with them in the air, in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is the next major event on God's prophetic calendar. Um, I could go into a great deal about how uh, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, uh, but I don't have time to go through all that today. There's a message that I did put out there, Scripture's most compelling argument for the pre-tribulation rapture. I spoke on it uh, probably a few months ago. It's on the website. Uh, you can look it up there. So the next major event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church, the dead and alive, are literally one generation of Christians translated, taken up to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then what takes place? Well, the next thing happens after Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. We then get into uh, uh, basically the throne room of God as he prepares to tell everyone in Revelation chapter 6 and on through Revelation 19.10 about 28 major judgments that will be taking place on this earth during that horrible time of tribulation. Uh, Revelation 5 through 6 talks about the seven seal judgments. We go to Revelation chapter 7. Oop, time out. God puts an interlude in here. 
We're going to look at this in a few minutes. We're going to talk about the 144,000, and I'll give a quick descriptor, and then we'll, pull, we'll prove it from Scripture. At the beginning of the tribulation period, God is going to call 144,000 young male virgin Jewish evangelists who will go out around this world and preach the gospel to everyone. We'll see that in a few moments. He first talks about in Revelation 7, which we've already gone through. And now in Revelation 14, we're basically looking at the scene in heaven where these 144,000 are recognized for the work that they accomplished during the seven-year tribulation. We'll get to that shortly. Revelation chapter 8, we talk about the seven trumpet judgments. Then Revelation 10, God reveals a set of judgments that uh, uh, almost no dispensational even theologian or anyone makes mention of. You always hear about the 21 judgments of the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls, but for whatever reason, many of them leave out the seven thunder judgments. Do you know why they leave them out? Because God doesn't say anything about them. He says, uh, hey, hey, John, there's going to be seven thunder judgments in Revelation 10. And he says, but uh, I'm not going to tell you what they are. Now, folks, we know from the 21 judgments that God did tell us about that 50% of the earth's population will be wiped out during that time. Revelation uh, 6.18 and 9.18, in those two judgments alone, we lose 50% of the 7.3 billion people that live on this earth. That's a lot of people. That's only two of the 21 judgments that are listed. Now, folks, if you start going through Revelation 10, and it's like, well, what are those judgments? And God doesn't tell us. We have no idea how many people will be left at the end of that seven-year tribulation. The one thing I can tell you, based on Scripture, or Matthew, not Revelation, but Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, God makes it very clear that unless those days had been shortened, no flesh would be Same. It's actually uh, verse 22. I'm just going to cross-check it while I'm talking. Uh, Matthew 24. Let's make sure it's verse 22 here. I don't like giving out bad information. Matthew 24. Let's look it up. There it is, verse 22. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. What's he talking about? The tribulation will be held to a literal seven-year period, Daniel 9, 27, when all of these judgments will take place. And you say, well, why did you just read Matthew 24, 22? Because what God is making a statement here. When you read, when you go through, and we'll do this in a, a few weeks when we get to Revelation 16, the judgments will become so severe that if they kept up for more than a few days, everyone would die. No water. Everything is going crazy on this earth. How do you live without water? Well, God's going to dry things up for a while. And uh, how are people going to survive? I have no idea how they're going to survive, but God says unless those days were kept, if you will, to a minimum, not a single person would live through. Why is God doing this? Why is God going to have a seven-year tribulation period? Well, folks, what 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 did we say is the next major event on God's prophetic calendar? Rapture of the church when all of God's people, dead and alive, that means if uh, the rapture happens today, which it could, no signs need to happen. We could all be taken up to heaven today if you've trusted Christ. You say, am I going to heaven? Stay tuned. We'll tell you how to make sure in just a moment. Are you going to heaven if Jesus comes back? Well, there's a startling thought. 
We're going to get to that in a few minutes, so stay awake because you don't want to miss that. All right. Uh, then we're going to talk, uh, uh, we've talked about uh, the two witnesses that will also be working with 144,000 uh, uh, evangelists. Revelation chapter 12, we talked about about two months ago. Satan is literally cast from heaven in the middle of the tribulation period. By the way, how does that seven-year tribulation period start? What is the event that starts that seven-year tribulation period? We have the rapture first happens. Then the Bible specifically tells us how that tribulation period is going to start. I'll give you a hint. Daniel 9, 27 is exactly what will take place. Who comes on the scene and makes a peace treaty with Israel? The Antichrist comes on the scene, makes a peace treaty with Israel. Daniel 9, chapter, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And it says it's a seven-year peace treaty that he's going to make with Israel. But you read through the rest of Daniel 9, 27. It says in the midst of of that time or after three and a half years all of a sudden the antichrist turns against israel so and here's a very important thing and again i'm doing a lot of review quickly and then we'll get into chapter 14 in a moment what takes place here when the antichrist comes on the scene he makes a or a basil he says he confirms a covenant with israel every time we watch the news and uh, we see israel making a peace treaty or a covenant or a uh, if you will, a pact with another country, all the Christians get excited. They're like, ah, this could be it. Well, it could be, uh, uh, but uh, so far it's all been on a very, very minimal scale. Uh, it's just going to be a big scale. There's going to be a horrible situation which exists. The Antichrist will take advantage of it. He'll come and he'll finally make a peace treaty with Israel and allow them to build what? The temple, the next Jewish temple. You say, well, how do you know he's going to allow that? Because, again, there's a lot in Daniel 9.27. It tells us that when he comes on the scene, he will confirm a covenant with the Jewish people, Israel. But in the midst of that time, he will break the covenant and cause them to cease sacrificing. Well, wait a minute. Where do the Jews sacrifice animals, if you will? Where, do, where were they always over the history? Where do they sacrifice animals? In the temple. Where's the temple located? On the Temple Mount in... Jerusalem, thank you. All right, so has there been a temple in Jerusalem for the past 2,000 years? The answer is no. Now, this is all review. You say, I never heard this before. Well, it's brand new for some. All right, so how do we know all this is true? Well, folks, the first temple stood from uh, 960 B.C. till 586 B.C., 70 years of captivity for the Jewish people for not following God. Then... A second temple was built. When was that built? 515 B.C. When did that second temple disappear? 70 A.D. when the Romans came in and knocked it down. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, he said, listen, uh, the, the disciples and Jesus literally were in that second temple. They're coming out. Jesus turns around and looks at that beautiful temple and he tells his disciples what? Not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be cast down. Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. What was Jesus proud? He's telling them, listen, guys, they've never seen anything as beautiful as that temple. I mean, it was massive, beautiful. These are uh, agriculture guys, farm guys, fisher guys, and they're seeing this thing, and Jesus is saying it's going to get torn down, every single stone. Why? Because Jewish people, unfortunately, weren't following God. And in AD 70, under General Titus from Rome, 
They came in and destroyed the temple. Not one stone was left. All the gold, all the precious metals, everything was taken off of them. The stones were cast over the side under the Herodian road below. By the way, if you go to Israel, you can still see it today. Those big giant boulders are still laying there on those old uh, first century Herodian roads. It's amazing. Been there. Love it. If uh, they ever lift some restrictions, maybe we'll all go and take a look. I'd love to do it with you. All right, but anyway, uh, the Bible made this very clear that those things were going to take place, and they did. And you say, well, Brother Rich, why hasn't the third temple been built? There's been 2,000 years to build a third temple. Well, the reason there's no temple in Israel today is, again, based on Scripture. Where is the temple today? Us, church, correct. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Know you not, Christian, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 6, 19. Know you not, Christian, again, it's, it reiterates it, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What, it, what do we call ourselves as a, and look at it from a 30,000-point view over the entire world, we are called the what? The church or the body of Christ. You see, there's coming a day when the church has to disappear and then the third temple can be built. You say, well, can you prove that? Well, I got 2,000 years of history to back it up. There's been no temple on the Temple Mount. It will not be built until we are removed and the Antichrist comes on the scene, confirms a covenant with Israel. All goes back to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. So those are things yet to come. All right, well, I better move on or I'm not even going to get through the introduction. A <laughs> couple of questions for you. Do you ever wonder if God communicates with you? We're going to go through things that over and over and over again, God is always trying to get our attention. He wants your attention, folks, and he's done all sorts of things to get it. We're going to see that. Have you considered that every day God actually has multiple ways he attempts to get your attention? When Valerie and I were uh, driving here this morning, and I had to take my sun visor, and I live up in Franklin, about 25 minutes north of here, and we're coming down, and that sun is, bam, it's hitting me right in the eyeballs. I had to take my visor and put it over there. Well, wait a minute. Who made that sun? Let's see, four people knew. <laughs> Who made the sun, the moon, the stars? Every single thing that we look at from creation. Romans chapter 1 makes it very clear that there is no excuse for anyone because doesn't even nature itself show us that there is a God. We're without excuse. There's no escaping. That's a simple thing. Just looking at nature tells you there's got to be a creator. Now, God is not nature. We're not pantheists, but God did create everything, and it points to himself. Have you, or, or how have you responded to God's calling? We'll talk about that in a few moments as well. Well, quickly, we're going to examine three biblical truths regarding God's chosen people. Well, we're going to be looking specifically at this group of 144,000 individuals. Now, there is one particular group out there that basically is, uh, and boy, I, I don't know how they haven't gotten 144,000 converts yet. Uh, their church membership is larger than that. But they go door to door trying to get people to be part of the 144,000 people. Now, folks, that's a cult. It's wrong. It's not biblical. And I try to say that with all due respect, but I don't appreciate false teaching. And uh, we have to take a stand against it. We want to be kind and loving as we approach it. 
But uh, let's find out what the real 144,000 are. And these are a literal, literal, literal group of people that will be called of God to serve him after the church is gone during the seven-year tribulation period. Verse 1, Revelation 14. Then John looked, I looked, and behold, a lamb, Jesus, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. Now let's go back to the reasoning for this. We go all the way back now to Revelation chapter 7 to understand who these individuals are. Verse 1, Revelation 7. After these things, John says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. The what? Seal. Don't lose that word. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees. You ever read Revelation? What's going to happen to the earth? What's going to happen to the trees? What's going to happen to the water? What's going to happen to the grass? They're eventually all going to get burned up. And God says, No, hold a minute. Let's not start the judgments until we seal. What does he say? Verse 3, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Interesting uh, choice. Where is he going to seal them? On their foreheads. We go to Revelation 13. Where does the Antichrist put the seal on people? The right hand or their foreheads. Huh. Satan always mimics what God does, doesn't he? All right, verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed... 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Here's what's going to take place, folks. After the rapture of the church, God is going to do a massive movement that's going to take place. And God knows that uh, after we're gone, there's 144,000 young male Jewish virgin evangelists that he has prepared to go out and to start spreading the gospel. Revelation 7 makes that perfectly clear. You say, in other words, uh, God basically, <laughs> there's the, this 144,000, these are chosen people that God literally knows who they are. And they're going to be in place? Absolutely. You say, well, that's amazing. It is amazing because it's only God could do something like this. But he's got these individuals pulled out. Whenever the rapture happens, if it's in our generation, these people are alive and on earth today. Don't know that as a fact, but it could be. So he goes through every single tribe of the tribe of Judah, Sealed 12,000, tribe of Reuben, 12,000, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, and Benjamin. Every single tribe of the children of Israel will have 12,000 individuals sealed. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I saw on the news the other day that there's a bunch of lost tribes of Israel. Well, they may be lost to the media, but God knows where they're at. You see, back in uh, uh, what took place in 722, sorry for the history lesson, but folks, these are key dates that you need to know. At least I would encourage you to know. In 722 B.C., Assyria came in and plundered Israel. All the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes of Israel were taken captive to, come on now, starts with an A, Assyria. All right, this is before the Babylonian invasion. The first major invasion happened in 722 B.C. when Assyria came down into Israel and took the ten northern tribes captive to 
Assyria. And uh, the media says, well, those 10 tribes have never been found. Where, where are they at? And, uh, well, yeah, they were found. Who in, okay, and we already heard the word, so y'all should get this one, and it actually goes in alphabetical order. The next one is B. Who came in and plundered Assyria? Babylon. Well, wait a minute. When the Babylonians invaded Assyria, did every single one of those 10 tribes disappear because we have a new player on the scene? Absolutely not. The 10 tribes then were basically under whose rule? Babylon. Well, folks, uh, what was the next major plunder? Three waves. The Babylonians came in and took the two southern tribes to Babylon. Who else was already there? The 10 northern tribes. That means all 12 tribes were under Babylonian control. After 70 years of captivity in Babylon, God put it in the heart of Cyrus to send the Jewish people back to Israel to build the second temple. And by the way, that included all 10 tribes. They're not lost. They're there. By the way, uh, um, there are 28,000 priests needed to run that third temple. You say, well, how are they going to find them? Well, they already have. If you go to Israel right now, and uh, Jimmy DeYoung Jr. actually took me to the place, there's a rabbi uh, that actually has a database with uh, over 28,000 Jewish men that fit into the 10 or the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, how does he know they're the 12 tribes? I don't know. But uh, uh, they've got to be from the tribe of what? Levi. He's got 28,000 people based on DNA records and all this other stuff. Because uh, what happened to the genealogies, by the way, when the, last, when the first temple was destroyed? Where are they at? They got destroyed. How all this has come together, and you say, well, how in the world can you find out uh, uh, somebody's, uh, uh, if you will, background and figure this out? Well, I look, where's my wife at? Where's your hand? Oh, you're over there. You're usually over there. All right. I'm like, I lost her. Find my wife. There she is. All right, that's good. I don't want to lose her. And uh, uh, she had a DNA test done uh, just uh, for genealogical background some, I don't know, several years ago, and it came back. And uh, her last name was Zimbelman. You know what Zimbelman means? Jewish timbrel. She got some Jewish blood in her, and sure enough, the DNA test come back, and there's a, there's a couple of drops in there that are Jewish. And uh, I don't know if she's ever played the timbrel. I've never seen that. But uh, <laughs> bottom line, though, is uh, DNA records. It's amazing what you can find out. So anyway, the bottom line is God made it very clear whether uh, uh, the rabbi in Israel's got it all right or not. God will get it right for the 12 tribes. All right, Ephesians 4.30. Let's get practical for a moment. And the Bible says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now we're talking to Christians now, not to the Jewish people, by whom you were what? sealed. My friends, if you are a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you understood that you were a sinner, that you were lost, and that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died on it for you, and you subsequently received the free gift of eternal life by trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the moment you did that, the moment you made a decision to trust in the Lord and put your faith in him, you were what? You were sealed, an unbreakable seal that God put upon you. The same type of seal he's going to put on the 144,000 young male Jewish virgin evangelists in the future. By the way, that's pretty good news, isn't it? You're sealed. You trust in Christ. You say, well, what if I mess up? What if I do something wrong? Am I going to lose my salvation? If you truly trust in Christ, 
you've truly been in the words of John, born again. No, you won't lose your salvation. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth or correcteth, even as a father or son in whom he delights. I guarantee you, when I messed up, my daddy did some chastening. And my mama did even more chastening. I still got the scars to prove it on uh, a certain part of covered property. And, uh, <laughs> but you say, why? Because they love you and they want, they want uh, what's right. Folks, uh, I'm not trying to scare you and say, uh, if you mess up, God's going to come down with a club and whoop you. But uh, God definitely says, listen, if you're one of his children, he wants you to live for him. And that's a good thing. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Who chose us? Listen, Jesus wants every single person to come to Christ. He does. I talked with this uh, a Wednesday night with a friend, and uh, uh, who does the calling? Well, God calls everyone. I, God says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to uh, a repentance, if you will. Uh, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will call all men to myself. And uh, we don't come to the Lord without his calling, but he calls, he calls everyone. And unfortunately, some will reject, some will accept. All right, next thing, they, uh, this 144,000, they have a new song. Now, we're looking to the future, Revelation 7. This is when they were just coming on the scene. They were being chosen, if you will. Now we come to the end of the tribulation period. It's an interlude, if you will, uh, between chapter 15 and 16. And John says, I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpers playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures. Now, again, if you've not been through the earlier part of Revelation. All these are symbolic terms talking about uh, uh, angelic creatures and so forth in heaven, but we can't go through that again today. And the elders, no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These 144,000, by the way, how many did God call in Revelation chapter 7 at the beginning of the, the tribulation? What was the number? Say it, please. 140. 4,000. We're now at the end of the tribulation, and he's describing those who had been sealed and protected. How many uh, have been diminished? How many lost their place? How many lost their seal during that time period? Zero. Folks, Ephesians 4.30, that's why we love this. This is a, a companion concept. God, when he puts his seal upon you, it's unbreakable. Can't mess with it. And uh, these 144,000 that God called uh, were the same 144,000 that are now in heaven praising the Lord. Verse 6 uh, of Psalm 28, blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices. And with my song, I will what? I'll praise him. Folks, if you couldn't praise Jesus this morning during the music time, your blesser is broken. <laughs> Folks, God uses music, always has, always will. Is there a new song in your heart? My wife, uh, and I've stopped doing it some. I still do it when she's not around, but uh, I like to whistle, and I like to hum, and I like to sing to myself, and she's like, you know, if you maybe sounded like Pavarotti, it'd be okay, but uh, you don't. And uh, <laughs> so I try and temper it a little bit, but no, uh, uh, do you have a song in your heart? Do you love the Lord? Is there always music? Uh, God uses music. He just does. Who gave us music? It's a godly thing, and it's a wonderful thing, and he puts this new song in the hearts of the 144,000. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. 
Now, we're going to park here for just a second because uh, um, I've been asked many times, it's like if when you look at uh, the current situation in churches across the country and across the world, and I'll ask a question something like this, what is the one thing that can destroy a church? You know what the first thing that most people say is? Immorality. By the way, that's the wrong answer. You know what destroys a church? Thank you. Dissension. In Proverbs, it makes it very clear. There are six things, yea, seven things that God hates. And one of those is causing what? Discord among the brethren. That's the big killer. That's the thing we have to always be on guard on. But this is also a horrible thing that takes place is immorality. And uh, these young male virgin evangelists, they were pure. 1 Corinthians 6 reminds us, free, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know, well, here it is, that your body is the what? It's the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now let me, really, we should have much more time to go through this passage, but the big thing we understand here is the 144,000, they never were impure. Now you say, listen, Pastor, let's be honest. Uh, if we took a survey, which we would never do, how many folks have committed acts of immorality and then there would be many you say well how do we deal with that you see when somebody walks and I say this so often you walk through that door if you committed immorality does that mean that you're uh, a sinner that God can't help you see it doesn't matter what sin you've committed doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter how far down into the depths of sin you've gone Jesus is always standing at the front saying, I'm waiting for you. How about turning it around? You say, Brother Rich, uh, I, I, I feel so horrible. I feel guilty. I feel like I've disappointed God and my parents and myself, and I can't live with myself anymore. And Jesus said, uh, 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 hey, hey, Jesus, this woman, we caught her in the very act of adultery. Should we stone her? Could have been a guy, by the way, too. Poor ladies always get picked on. And uh, Jesus just kind of kneels down on the ground and starts, we don't know what he's writing, but he's writing something. And uh, uh, the, 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 the religious zealots say, uh, what are you going to do about this, Jesus? The law says you should kill her. Jesus looks at him and says, all right, guys. The one without sin cast the first stone. Go ahead, pick your stone up. You came here to condemn her. Throw that stone. Righteous person, what did they do? They all turned around and walked away. Jesus looks down at her and says, where's your accusers? They're all gone, Jesus. I don't condemn you either. Now you go and don't sin anymore. Get your life together. Get your act together. You follow me. Now, folks, I don't care if it's immorality. I don't care if it's murder. I don't care if it's robbery or burglary or any other thing that uh, you can call a sin. I don't care if it's hate. God said he loves people. 
And folks, if it wasn't for the love of Jesus Christ, not a single one of us would be able to get through the gates of heaven, guaranteed, because we're all sinners. We're all born in sin. Now, if you've been in immorality, you've done it wrong, uh, 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 gone that down that road, I highly suggest you stop it. That's what Jesus said. No, don't sin it. Just stop. Get your act together. You're forgiven. But go now. Do the right thing. Isn't that wonderful? The confident path, 144,000. These are the ones who follow Jesus, the Lamb, wherever he goes. I'm going to hasten here. Uh, uh, The calling. These were redeemed from among men. These were, if you will, during the tribulation time. Now in in the current church age, we say we've been saved because we've trusted in Christ, saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. These 144,000 are literally chosen and sealed by God. They've been redeemed. Deuteronomy chapter 26, and it shall be when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the protos. You see, he's going to talk about that these 144,000 are the first fruits of the tribulation. In the law, Deuteronomy, written back in 1400 B.C., God made it clear that the first fruits of everything belong to whom? They belong to God, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand, set it down before the altar of the Lord your God, he has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the what? The first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. What do they do? They bring the first fruits and bring them right back to God. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the what? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or who have died. One more thought here. Folks, the first fruits are so important. And God is making it very clear that these 144,000 are the first ones that will be saved at the beginning of the tribulation period. They will go out and do the same thing that you and I have been called to do as God's people. And that's to spread the gospel. Uh, I just uh, mentioned uh, at uh, uh, Richard Kaczynski funeral that there, and I saw the basket there yesterday when I went to the service, and it was a basket filled with these little tiny rolled-up scrolls uh, with the gospel message inside of them. Folks, that's what we've been called to do, to get the gospel message out. The consecration, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. What does deceit mean? There's no treachery, no slyness, no trickery. We're just about done. Matthew 24, 4, and Jesus answered and said to them, He's talking about the future during the tribulation time. You see, when the 144,000 young male Jewish version evangelists are out preaching the gospel during that time, that the uh, horrible tribulation times will come when much deception will be there. Three times in Matthew 24, speaking about the tribulation, he talks about deception. Verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. The 144,000, never a word of deception will come from their mouth. Verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive if possible even the elect. To close us out, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the what? The everlasting 
gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Here's the qualifier. Here's going to get Here's who's going to get the gospel during those last seven years. Catch what the verbiage is. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. You say, wait a second. Are you saying the Bible says that every single person on this earth will hear the gospel during the tribulation time? No, I'm not saying it. God did. He's a much better source. Back it up with Matthew chapter 24, verse uh, 10. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. The many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he endures to the end, will be saved. And this gospel, now Jesus is making the same statement John just did. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in what? All the world. He's not kidding as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. What is Jesus saying? And we close with this. Well, I'll pop through this. There we go. Folks, God is calling all the time. God is calling in this age. God will call people during the tribulation time. He just uses different vessels. You say, what does it have to do with me? Everything. God uses people to reach people. You see, Jesus would do a giant show in heaven. He could get all of our attention. He could go over a loudspeaker, use his outdoor voice, and every single person on the earth could hear him today. Is that how God chooses to reach people? It is not. God tells us in 2 Corinthians that he uses people. Now then, Christian, we are his ambassadors. We've been called to tell folks the greatest news ever given to mankind, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. After the rapture of the church, are we going to be here to tell folks about the gospel? Nope. So God says, listen, I got a plan, and God's plans are always the best. I'm going to call 144,000 young male Jewish virgin evangelists, and they're going to go out along with the two witnesses and spread the gospel to every single person in the earth. Folks, we've been around here for 2,000 years as the church age. Have we reached every single person on this earth for Christ? No, we haven't even come close. Our missionaries are, uh, God bless them, they go out and do what they can, but we're not even touching a great part of the world. And God says when the tribulation comes, I'm going to get to everybody. And they'll make a choice just the same as you have this morning. Every single person here right now has a choice. Many of you have already made it. If you were to die right now, where would you go? When you start thinking about what's going to happen during the tribulation, and if it does happen in our generation, you see after the rapture of the church, some of us will be going up, and there may be a few, maybe even in this room, that it won't be going up. And you say, why is that? Because the Bible makes a very, very, very strong position that you must know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior to go to heaven. You can't get there without knowing him. You say, well, Brother Rich, I've gone to church all my life. I've tried my best. I, I, I've been confirmed. I've gone to confirmation. I've done the sacraments. I've done all those things. Is that good enough? No. What? No, it's not. Can I tell you from the Bible how you can go to heaven instead of what some guy told you? Are you ready? Here's how you get to heaven. Here's God's way. Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is born in sin. Can't avoid it. You're sinners. I'm a sinner. And the Bible says, unfortunately, because we've sinned, if we got what we deserved, every single one of us would go to an awful place called hell. 
burn in the lake of fire forever, Revelation 21.8. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ, God's Son, comes down from heaven because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus Christ comes down from heaven, lives some 33 years, and then he goes to, if you will, the old cross and dies. God himself takes on human form and dies. Why did he do, why would he go through that? Because he knew you couldn't pay the sin debt alone. He knew that the best you could possibly be would never be good enough to get you to heaven. And Jesus said, I'll, I'll pay your sin debt personally. So Jesus goes to the cross. He's buried. Three days later, he rises again from the dead to prove he's God. You say, well, I knew all that when I walked in here. I knew all that when I've been watching. What is the thing that I've got to do to make sure I go to heaven? Here it is. You ready? God says you've got to place your faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done. You say, that's it? I've been told I've got to work and do all these. Jesus says, no. Here it is. Are you ready? We know these verses. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And here's the Bible way to get to heaven. For by grace, God's free, unmerited gift, are you saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sin. Saved from the penalty of sin, which is hell. For by grace are you saved through faith. Is faith doing something? Absolutely nothing. Faith is uh, believing in something you haven't seen. That's what faith is. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. There it is, folks. Have you taken God's promise? Have you put, in, uh, put your faith in the finished work of Jesus? Folks, you can't, you can't get to heaven on your own. You just can't. I just told you from the Bible. I didn't make it up. It's not... Uh, uh, something from a Baptist book. This is from God's book, in God's book alone. We're going to give you an opportunity. Uh, we're going to pray in just a moment. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, would you do it this morning? Folks, there's coming a day when Jesus is coming back. Many of you have watched the Left Behind series, whether you're saved or not, and it's a little bit of a, a story, but the storyline is absolutely true. Those without Christ will be left here to face those seven horrible years of tribulation. Christian, what are we going to do to try and help folks avoid that? Now you're going to walk with God. Father, thank you for this time we've had. Lord, we come to a very sacred moment as we ask you to do in the hearts of people what only you can do. This pastor can't do it. A friend can't do it. Every single one of us has to now look to the Holy Spirit of God and make a decision whether we'll accept what Jesus has done for us or keep trying to do things our, ourselves, which will fail. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you're to die to go to heaven. If the rapture happens tomorrow, <laughs> we're done. Our voice is done. Who outside the four walls of this church this morning will be left to go through the tribulation? Have you done your best to try and tell them about Jesus? Are you doing your best to live for God? Are you avoiding the sin that we talked about? Are you walking with the Lord? God needs you, and he wants you. It's kind of a funny thing to say, but God actually does need us to do his work, and that's who he's counting on. Would you give your life to Jesus this morning? If there's sin that's been uh, messing with you, would you ask God to take it from you this morning, repent and get rid of it? If you're here this morning or watching and you say, Brother Rich, uh, I, you've got my attention because when I walked in, I wasn't sure if I died, I'd go to heaven, but I'd sure want to be. 
And I've heard from the word of God that there's only one way to get to heaven. It's through placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Are you ready to accept that free gift this morning? I hope you are. Right there where you're seated, would you just tell God in your own words, listen, Lord, uh, something like this, maybe you'd like to share with the Lord in your own heart. Oh, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I believe that Jesus Christ, your son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again. And I know he did that because he loved me and paid for my sin debt. I'm receiving that free gift of eternal life this very moment, Lord. Thank you so much for saving me. Did you tell the Lord something like that? Maybe in your own words, maybe in the words I used. Did you mean it? Well, if you did, praise the Lord that uh, you've, you've accepted that free gift. Would you let me know after the service, please? Or I'd love to talk to you and help you grow in your Christian walk, give you some literature to help you. Those watching on the Internet, if you made that decision, you can contact us here at Union Grove Baptist, and we'd love to help you in Wisconsin.